Our topic and lesson today is out of the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, as you have done, it's regarding the judgment on Edom. Now, I didn't list which chapter in Obadiah we're going to be doing today because we're going to do the entire book of Obadiah, which is one chapter, as they delineated the chapters, which is interesting because we just did Jeremiah 52 or something chapters, uh, and Ezekiel 48, I think, or something chapters, and here we have God gives this prophet one chapter. And it's regarding Edom. It's not even regarding Israel, although Israel's mentioned in there. And so, you know, as we think of God's gifts that God gives to us, the abilities and talents that he gives to us, they're God's. They're not ours, right? And so he may give us an ability or a talent for a time. It might only just be for one time. It might be for a one-time event. It might be, we're not in charge of it. We don't say, I have, I am. You know, it's whatever God chooses. He is sovereign. He gives as he sees fit for the need at hand. And for some people, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others, it's a lifetime deal. And for Jeremiah, I'm sure he would have rather just give me one chapter. I don't want to have to prophesy against all these kings and be thrown in prison and everything like that. Uh, so sometimes it's a lifelong commitment with, with everything that goes along with it. And sometimes it's just a one chapter deal to one specific people group. And we need to be in tune with God and go along with what God does. We follow him. He is Lord, right? Not us. So anyway, that's a little, just a little preamble to Obadiah. Obadiah prophesied at around the same time as Ezekiel uh, while we were in captivity. Not exactly sure when in that 70-year captivity in Babylon it was, but during the captivity, and we'll see that mentioned here uh, in, in, in the book, in the chapter. Okay, so Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. I will make you small among the nations, you shall be greatly despised. And as we see in the map there, Edom was southeast of Israel, with a couple of the main cities, Bozeram and Timon, mentioned there, listed there. Now in current day Jordan, the area that it was is now current day Jordan, part of it. Okay, verse 3. Uh, the pride of your heart deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Now, some of this is, is uh, we see here, it mentions cleft of the rock, and the picture I have here is, is of, of Petra. Uh, it's an archaeological site. No one lives, for the most part, in the actual... Uh, buildings that were carved right into the sandstone in, uh, in Petra. Uh, there's some that uh, use it for putting some animals in and some other different things there. But for the most part, it is uninhabited, the ancient city of Petra. Well, that ancient city of Petra that's visited today uh, is in that area of Eden, where Edom was, uh, but didn't date all the way back the, 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 the stone structures that we have today, remnants of today. Uh, we're not all the way back to Obadiah's time, but they have found in that same area, digging down further below, remnants of some settlements that were there when the Edomites were there in that same area, in those same rocks, in the same cliffs, uh, in the same area, and dwelling there. And so after they were removed, and, and the next group came in and built the structures that uh, remain there today uh, in that area. So it's interesting, he mentions that, so they dwell in the clefts of the rock, and they did, that was where they dwelt, and again, the same area here of Petra, what's known as Petra today. 
Uh, and it mentions some of the things that it talks about here. It sounds very similar to what is written about Lucifer. The pride of your heart deceived you. You dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high. And you say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Right? And God brings him down to the ground. But Lucifer's downfall was his pride. He was lifted up. All about himself, right? And so pride. Pride is one of the issues. We're going to see some of the issues that bring Edom down. And hopefully we'll learn some life lessons for us as well from this. So pride is the number one first issue that's mentioned regarding the downfall of Eden. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Again, very similar to what is written about Lucifer in his downfall. Verse 6, Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. And so they might have had riches and treasure that was stored up and hidden away, maybe in some of these very rocks and clefts, uh, uh, crevices that they maybe carved into the rock in that time. Uh, interestingly enough, this, uh, this, this structure that's uh, pictured here is known as the treasury. And so maybe that was because of what was written there, or maybe they, um, for whatever reason, known as the treasury. So is, Obadiah mentions that. And he mentions Esau. So Esau was the patriarch of the Edomites. Right? So the Edomites came from the lineage of Esau. Verse 8, will I not say in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off in by slaughter. And so they're going to be cut off. The downfall is coming because of their pride. They're lifted up, trusting in their treasures. Right? We have to be careful of pride as well. We can get lifted up. We can think we're doing pretty good. We can be self-confident in our fortress homes, right? in our protection, in our strength that we have, that we are prosperous in our treasuries that we have stored up in our bank accounts or our 401s or our, or our Social Security, uh, our, our homes and our cars, and, and, and be secure in what we've built up in our treasuries, in our abilities, in our strengths, in our fortresses of our locked homes, in our security cameras, and, and, um, and, and alarm systems, and, and protections that we have. And we can even you know, trust in our police force. And we can be thankful for all those things, but our trust needs to be in the Lord. Well, we should lock our doors, and it's good that we have a, a police force, uh, but our trust is in the Lord. And our pride is not in ourselves or in our abilities or in our country or in its strength or in its might or our own abilities and strengths and our abilities and talents, our degrees and, and our history of work and our longevity and our credibility. Our trust is in the Lord. Our pride is not in ourselves. Because we can be brought down in a moment as they were brought down as well and destroyed. And even in their wisdom, right? Destroy the wise men of Edom so we can also be proud in our wisdom. How smart we think we are, how good we have managed our lives, how we've managed our funds, how we've managed our family, how we've lived through our lives. We can think we're so smart. And things can turn around at a moment's notice.
Now I give some of the main reasons. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captives his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. So he condemns Edom for when Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem, Edom stood back. Edom watched it all take place. They stood on the other side. They didn't come to the help of their brother Jacob. It was as if they were even, as if you were one of them. It was as if you were part of Babylon in, in not helping out when there was need at hand. And there are needs around us. And do we stand back? Do we stand on the other side? Right? The, the story of the Good Samaritan who comes by, the three men come by first, one walks around them on the other side. Right? Do we just bypass and ignore the problems that are going on around us? They may not directly affect us, so we turn a blind eye. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Oh, it's not me. So it doesn't affect me. I'm not worried about it. It's someone else's problem. Well, God does call us our brother's keeper. We are held responsible for doing what we can when necessary and stepping in to be a help. And here, Jacob had a need. It needed a help. So we have this contrast of Esau and Jacob all over again. Jacob spurned the birthright the firstborn. He should have received the inheritance. He should have received the double portion. He should have received the spiritual lineage to the Messiah and been ahead of the household. But instead, he was just concerned for the worldly goods, for having fun, for having ease, for going out hunting, for going and doing pleasure, and for his filling his belly for food was his idol, was his God. It was more important to him than his birthright. Turned his back on it. <clears throat> Jacob wanted it. Jacob seized it. And we have the contrast here. Holding on to the treasures, holding on to their wisdom, lifted up in pride, feeling they got it coming to them. Nothing can, I can't lose it. It's all mine. I inherited it by birth. Trusting in its own strengths. Downfall will come. And then not caring about others not caring about others in need. Verse 12, But you should have not gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So problem number four, right? We have pride, we have trusting in riches, with trusting in strength, and then we have... Uh, standing by, standing on the other side, not helping when there was a need, and now rejoicing at their downfall. Do we rejoice in other people's downfall? The Bible tells us that Judah deserved the downfall, that Babylon was able to come in because of our sins. We removed ourselves from God's protection. We moved over to the enemy's side. We, we sought the help of, of the devil, basically, in worshiping idols and, and not following God. And so God allowed Babylon. Babylon was able to come in and do its destruction. 
but that does not justify Edom rejoicing in Judah's destruction, in Jerusalem's destruction. What about in our life? Maybe someone at work gets fired. Or someone at school gets reprimanded or kicked out. Maybe they're a problem to us. Some neighbor has to move. Or some calamity happens to them. Someone who's caused us troubles. Or maybe not. Do we rejoice in other people's downfall? Oh, they had it coming to them. Oh, they deserved it. Some politician falls or some Hollywood person or some sports figure falls. Oh, good for them. Get rid of them. Good riddance. They were a problem anyway. They're getting paid too much anyway. For whatever reason we might justify in their downfall for a reason for us to be thankful that they have fallen. God condemns Eden, Edom for such a thing. Verse 13, you should not have entered the gates of my people in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. So after Babylon comes through and does its destruction of Jerusalem, the Edomites come down and pillage the place. And do we, when again, maybe that worker was removed or fired, we move in for their desk, we move in for that position. Are we going to the funeral to see if we're in the will? Or do we sorrow for the person who died and the loss of them here on this earth? Where's our motives, where's our heart? When calamity or downfall happens to someone else, are we looking to capitalize on it for our own gain, for our own selfish purposes? Edom is condemned for such a thing. Verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among those who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. And so after Babylon comes through, some people escape Babylon and they're running for the hills, they're running for the mountains. The Edomites take them and don't help them. Kick them while they're down. Have we ever done that? Someone's in need of help and we just add insult to the injury, salt to the womb. Like Job's friends, oh, you deserved it. Put them down. He had guilt onto their lot, accuse them of their faults, make matters worse. Do we trample over them? Do we participate in talking negatively about them? Oh, maybe we didn't enter into the battle with Babylon, but do we stand on the sidelines and cheer on the Babylonians? Do we cheer on those that are hurting others? When some calamity happens, oh, some earthquake over in that country, or so famine, well, they deserve it. Who made us God? That we should stand in judgment of others. 
that we should rejoice in their calamities, that we should try and profit off of it, that we should put them down when they're down and kick them when they're down. And it all starts with pride. It all starts with us thinking, can't happen to us. We're strong. We've got plenty. We've got our treasuries. We're lifted up. We're wiser than they. Verse 15, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your appraisal shall return upon your own head. As we do, so shall it be done unto us. Like the saying, what goes around comes around and kicks us in the behind. Right? How we act, how we react, how we respond, it's going to come back on us. And so if we are lifted up with pride, downfall will come. If we're trusting in our riches, trusting in our strengths, they will fail us. If we stand by idly when others are in need, eventually we'll have need and there'll be no one there to help us. Do we look for gain at other people's calamities? Then people will take what we have as well. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. As we judge, so also we will be judged. We don't have a heart that cares for others. We deny the Lord before others, then he will deny us. As we do, so shall it be done to us. There's a judgment upon the nations. The day of the Lord is upon all the nations is near. So he's gone from talking about Edom in, in, in his day to the final judgment day, the day of the Lord that is near at hand. Final Judgment Day, where everyone's motives and hearts and attitudes and thoughts will be judged on how we have treated others. Now, this whole description that we looked at about Eden, if that sounds familiar to any of us, presently or in our past, we shouldn't be surprised. Because that's how we are. We can be in denial, but that is how we are. That's how we're born. We're born with pride. We're born trusting in ourselves. We're born trusting in our own abilities. We're born to take and greedy and to profit off others. That's why capitalism works. <laughs> Heaven will be different. Heaven will be a benevolent dictatorship. And heaven will all have everything in common. But here on this earth, with our carnal, our, our, our carnal natures, capital works great. Keeps us working. Keeps us striving. Keeps us motivated. Keeps us going. And greed to get more, to want more, to have more, to build up more, to be more secure. But we need to have right motives. We need to have God's heart. And so if we rejoice in other people's downfall, again, that's just natural, that's our nature. If we can see a way to 
pump us up with them going down, then that's part of our nature. It's how it works. It's how we are. That's why we need a new heart. Because that's not how God looks at things. That's not God's attitude towards things. But in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own how we're born, it's impossible for us to care about others, to sacrifice ourselves for others, when everyone else is mocking that one, for us to stand there in defense of the one so we get mocked as well, to not be afraid, to stand up for the needy with no fear. That's not natural. We need God's heart. That's why we need a savior, to save us from ourselves. If we could change ourselves, we wouldn't need him. We wouldn't need God. We'd be trusting in our own wisdom, trusting in our own strengths, and then we'd be lifted up with pride. But we can't. It's not in us. So we need to surrender our lives to the Lord and accept his sacrifice to take away our nature, to take our sins, to take our past, to take our present, to take our future, and to bury it away in his death for us, to remove it. That's why the Messiah came. That's why he died. But thankfully he wasn't left in the tomb. Thankfully he's been raised. And because he lives, we're not necessarily just dead and left there, empty, but he fills us with his spirit. He poured out his spirit upon us so that we can have his character, so that we can have his mind, so that we can have his thoughts, so that we can partake of the divine nature and not be lifted up on, with pride, not trusting in our riches, but trusting in the Lord, not worried about ourselves and building up for ourselves, but putting others first, putting God first and others before ourselves, not looking for greedily storing up for ourselves, but being generous and giving, not trying to get, not what's in it for us. Sorrowing with those that sorrow. Mourning with those that are mourning. That's God's heart. Caring about others. Loving others. Jacob, just like Esau, had those same traits. It's how Esau was. He wanted gain. He wanted just to have fun. He wanted the immediate. Well, Jacob was no different. He used trickery and lying to get what he wanted. That's why he was named Jacob, the deceiver. But he needed to be born anew as well. He needed to have a transformation experience, and he did. He surrendered his life to the Lord, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Esau didn't. But Jacob did. That's the only difference between the two. And that's, only, that's the only difference between the saved and the not saved. We all start the same. But Jacob repented, confessed, surrendered all, wrestled with God, and God changed him. Jacob basically dead. I'll make you a new person. Now, no longer Jacob the deceiver, but Israel, the overcomer with God, the prince with God. And that's what we need. We need God to change us. We need God to remove all that other stuff. 
all the closing our eyes to the troubles in this world, hiding ourselves in our little fortresses, in our little square ticky-tack homes, and have God's heart. Because as it's done, so shall it be done to us. And so we don't do so that good will come upon us, but when we have God's heart, the doing becomes natural because it's God living it out through us. And thus we do good and then it just reciprocates over and over again. We give and God gives back, pressed down and overflowing. We can't give more to him. We can't do more for him than he's done for us and will be done for us. But if we don't, if we refuse to receive God's power to do as he does. If we refuse that change of heart, we remain in our enmity against God and our selfishness among others, then as we are, so it will be done to us. Verse 16, For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. So as it was for Esau, so it shall be for all the nations. They're no different than anyone else. We're all the same. And as you drank, so will all the other nations drink. And they also, in that final judgment, will be as though they had never been. As we read a few verses before with Esau, they shall be destroyed forever. They will be as though they had never been. That's the mercy of God. That's the love of God in the judgment of God. He destroys sin and sinners once and for all. It's gone. It's forgotten. It's removed. It's blotted out of the face of this earth. Nevermore. After the judgment, judgment takes place. Everything is decided, and it's removed. Just as our sins are thrown into the depths of the sea, removed as far from us as the east is from the west, so also the wicked will be as though they had never been. We'll move on into eternity, a new heavens and new earth, wherein will dwell righteousness, and nowhere in God's universe will be the blot or stain of sin anymore. They'll be gone, removed, destroyed, devoured, eternally gone, as if they never were, as if they had never been. That's loving God. That's the mercy of God. He'll never forget. He'll always long. He'll always miss. But it'll be removed. As if they had never been. That's why now, today, we need to do all that we can by God's power and God's strength to warn them because the day of the Lord is coming and is near at hand. And we need to warn this world. We need to warn the Edomites of this world. We need to warn the, the Jacobs of this world so they can get ready and have their lives changed, so they can live forever with God and not be destroyed.
verse 17, but in contrast to those who will be as though they had never been, but Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Jacob shall be a fire and Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle and devour them and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. Again, you have the contrast there. A fire that devours, destroys, stubble, nothing, no survivor, gone, removed, as if they had never been. And Jacob, all those who repent, confess, become the Israel of God, the children of God, the overcomers with God, prince and princes with God, we on Mount Sion will be delivered, will experience holiness, will be lifted up. So we have this choice. Just as Esau and Jacob had the choice, so also God gives us the choice. Whom we want to serve, who we want to obey, who we want to follow, who we want to be like. Do we want to stay in our carnal natures? Do we want to stay in our selfish forms? Or do we want to allow God to remove it and change us? Verse 20, the captives of the children of Israel, the captives of Jerusalem, shall possess the cities of the south. The meek shall inherit the earth. Though captives at one time, though sinners as we are, though deserving of the wrath of God, though experiencing troubles on this earth that we bring upon ourselves, when we repent and turn to God, he blots all that out, removes it all away, and he makes all things new. And then we get to inherit as Jacob did, the double portion, the inheritance, the lineage of the Messiah, and we become co-heirs with the Messiah. Doesn't get any better than that. Everything that God invested to Yeshua, he, he shares with us. Co-heirs. Co-heirs. Pretty good. I mean, that's like being uh, adopted by Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or whatever and, and being written in the wills as co-heirs. Better, much better. A million, billion times better. We become co-heirs. He's received everything, and he shares it with us. We become possessors of the new heavens and new earth, wherein dwells righteousness and holiness forever and ever. Then the, the saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is a judgment day. And in, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and Revelation that God will place us and sit us as judges. He allows us to enter into the judgment with him. The ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate judgment day. He allows us to participate. The Bible says that we will judge even angels. Know ye not that you shall judge angels? God will open the record books and he'll show Jacob why Esau is not there. 
We have a Jacob and Esau. He'll show Stephen why Saul is there. And we'll see why Judas is not there. All have had their opportunities. All have made their choices. And God will open the books to us. And he'll let us participate in the judgment with him. So there'll be no doubt, no questioning for all eternity. He would have shown us it all. And if Aunt so-and-so is not there, we would say, well, I see why, God. And we will enter judgment and agree with him. And if so-and-so who caused us all these problems is there, we'll see, God will show us, and we will agree with God. Just and true are your ways, O Lord God Almighty. He's just, and he judges rightly. But he lets us enter into that process as well. And so the survivors, the saviors, they will judge on Mount Zion as well. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. And he will be Lord of Lords and King of Kings forever and ever. For we will acknowledge him as so. Not questioning or doubting his judgments evermore again. We would have seen it, it would all been played out for us. All our questions of why he allowed us to go through this problem, this situation, he lets us enter into the judgment there as well. He shows us it all. He reveals it all. He lets us reason together with him and come into agreement with him. What a just God, what a good God. What an open, transparent God we serve. And so we have a choice, whether we want to be like Edom or whether we want to be like Jacob and become Israel, whether we want to be Saul and become Paul, or whether we want to be like Judas and sell him out. And so in a moment when we pray, if you want to recommit or commit your life to the Lord and ask him to change you from your Jacob deceiving selfish, greedy character and to give you his heart. In a moment when we pray, you'll have an opportunity to do that. God's convicted you on some area of pride. And we can, when we pray, you can give that over to him. Or maybe trusting in your wisdom or trusting in your strengths, trusting in your fortresses, your rock houses, your stone buildings, your bank accounts, your treasures, your wisdom, your intelligence, your gifts. You want to surrender it all to the Lord and trust in him and rely on him. If there's times in the past or present where you've had opportunity to help someone and you haven't, or you have opportunity now and you've not, He's watching things go by, standing on the other side of the street. In a moment when we pray, you can confess that and ask the Lord to give you the ability to do what he's called you to do in whatever situation that is. If you rejoiced in someone else's calamity, you can receive forgiveness and give that over to the Lord. Maybe not even verbally, but just maybe in your own mind and heart you rejoiced. Maybe a little jump went on in your heart when you heard of their downfall. Whether they deserved it or didn't, that's not God's heart. 
We can confess, give that over, and receive a new life. If we looked to plunder, if we looked for gain, if we looked for self, for our own march up the ladder, surrender it to the Lord, and walk by faith and walk in His will, trusting in Him, not walking over other people, not stepping over other people, but let the Lord lift us up. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift us up. Yeshua said, you enter into someone's household, you sit in the lowest seat and let them lift you up. Totally different than our natural natures. If any of those areas apply to you, or maybe in our past, or maybe in our present, maybe we've kicked someone when they're down, Maybe we've entered into the deriding of them with others. Maybe we didn't initiate it. Maybe we were in Babylon on the attack. But when they had need, we didn't help out. Maybe we stepped on their fingers as they were holding on to the rope. Maybe we put them down. Maybe we just added to the pile the last straw on the back or maybe just another straw on their back. It didn't help, but actually hurt and hindered and made things worse. Added a comment behind their back to the others. They're jeering, and we just add another remark, another thought. We can surrender that, receive forgiveness, no matter how far past, or present, no matter how bad, or how blatant, or how strong. We can receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. Or if you want to claim a hold of that inheritance that he's promised to us. You want to claim a hold of his spirit to give us that new heart and new mind and to grow in his grace. You want to be lifted up on high, lifted up in his deliverance, lifted up in his holiness. Claim his power, claim his resurrection in your life. Claim his spirit in your life. You want to claim that new life. Be made Israel a prince with God. Princess with God. You want to claim your inheritance with Him. Claim your possessions with Him. Claim that co-inheritance with Him. And the moment when we pray, lay hold of it. And it's the meek who inherit the earth. Trusting in Him, surrender to Him, and receive His inheritance. Receive His promises. So if any of those areas apply to you, or some other area maybe God's been talking to your heart and mind about, let us enter into prayer together and let God do his mighty work in us, changing us and transforming us. He's powerful. I just heard a story this week of this hardened criminal. He did some horrible acts. He was so bad. He was on such, such a bad, the wanted list that, uh, that there were 20 people assigned to, to assassinate him. Uh, and, uh, and he was caught and put in prison. And while in prison, he came to the Lord. Surrendered his life to the Lord, and a change took place, a powerful change took place in his life. And so he contacted, he knew about the, 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 the hit job that was planned on him, he contacted the 20 people and invited them to come and meet with him. And they came. And 17 of them gave their hearts to the Lord, <laughs> seeing the change that took place in this man's life. They surrendered their life to him. God can so change us, change everything in our lives by his power and by his might. Let us pray together and let God do his change in our lives.
our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name, Lord, for your warning and mercy to Esau. They had opportunity, the destruction had not yet come. And thank you, Lord, for your warning upon us now. And Lord, you know, use us in warning this world. Lord, speak through us. May we not stand on the sidelines. May we not add to the suffering, but may we be a blessing. Use us as a savior of life. Transform us, change us, cleanse us, wash us clean. Thank you, Yeshua, for your sacrifice in our behalf. Holy Spirit, come into us and live in us and out of us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.